This is part two of my conversation with Nasser from the band Winterburn. If you haven't already, check out the previous episode, but you could also listen to this as a standalone. Welcome back to Curated Advice on Better Living. And now your host, Khaled Sultan. Like when I do press for my band, I start thinking like, do people really care what the songs are about? We have physical copies of the album, right? But I didn't put any lyrics in it. Because I just said, fuck it. Like, let people figure it out on their own. Let it be whatever you think it is, you know? Like, Ivory Towers. You watch the video, you see, like, Ayatollah Khomeini, Saddam Hussein, the Gulf War. Then you see the second Gulf War when Saddam invaded Kuwait. Then you see the third Gulf War when America did. Not Desert Storm, what was the last one? Operation Iraqi Freedom. Right. You see Donald Rumsfeld, Tony. So, like, who's the bad guy? Like, you know, anyone watching it is like, what's going on like if you don't there's context towards it i mean if you listen to the lyrics you can figure out what i'm thinking yeah. about it's against tyrants and warlord uh, warmongers and you know guys running but you don't want to like feed people and you want to let people like there's you want to leave some room for interpretation because people interpret things differently right based on their experiences yeah and it's not it's not this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of glad my my old ba- my older bandmates left the band before the album came out. I really am glad, actually, because when I finished editing the Ivory Towers video, I was super fucking stoked. I'd sat down through 18 hours of watching war footage from the 70s all the way to the 2000s, dude. And it was a lot of footage. You're talking about like three Gulf Wars, bro. It's like, can you imagine like the Iran-Iraq war is the first Gulf war. It's considered to be the first yeah. Gulf war. That's like, what, 10 years of footage? And like, just... Why did you do that? How? Why did you do that? Because it must have had a negative impact on you. Because the song was about, like I said, it's about tyrants. So it's for the song. You were selected. Yeah. And like, you know, I wanted to make an interesting music video because like at the time the band was in a different country. They had not, we'd, we'd agreed on how we'd shoot the video. I did my shots. They were supposed to do their shots uh, in the same sort of thematic concept, but they didn't. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to take a bunch of cool war footage. I mean, I wouldn't say cool because some of it's really depressing actually. Well, not depressing. It's it's just, it's, it's tragic, you know? Of course. But, and just edit it in a way where it's syncopated or synchronized with the music, with the beats, with the with the fills, the riffs and everything. So if you watch the video, it's like a lot of it goes with the fills. Mm. Um, and my point is, it actually starts from the fall of the Shah into the Iraq-Iran war. Ayatollah Khamenei's rise and all of that. And the whole idea was, look at these cats causing all this nonsense, all this wars and suffering and suffering towards their people. It's actually really about the injustice towards people. That's why the lyrics, the song's called Ivory Towers. It's like they're sitting in their ivory towers while everyone else underneath, all the dissidents, all the people who are against this, all the people who are who have been oppressed, they're the ones who suffer. And that's why you see a lot of footage of innocent civilians being killed, young soldiers dying. Was there a lot of backlash, by the way, to that? No, uh, actually the majority of people dug it. Okay. And so this is what happened. My bandmates saw the video. So I send it to three people. I send it to my friend who's uh, two of my friends are filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And one of them is in another band. He has his own podcast show and Twitch show and all that. And he was like, this is fucking sick. Like, he's like, hell yeah, release it. My other friend was like, from a cinematography or editing perspective, he didn't like certain things. He's like, I would change this. I would change. He was kind of critical, but his was purely technical, you know, uh, synchronizing certain sounds and riffs. He felt like some parts were out of sync. I was like, no, they're in sync, you know, whatever. My bandmate literally responds with, is this a joke? I, and that's in his voice, my ex bandmate. And I'm like, what do you mean? And that kind of really got me, put me off. 
I hate negative shit like that because I get like I I get I mean that was also pre antidepressants, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so shit used to hit me hard, and I just started MS treatment and all that. Um, and I just saw that, and I was like, I mean, I was like, what? He's like, is this a joke, man? Like, are you serious? You want to put this out? Like, what the fuck, bro? I don't want to be associated with all this political shit. I'm like, dude, Ivory Towers is a political song. Do you know how the song came to me? It started with one riff. Well, actually started with a combination of riffs. I'm like, and it was literally watching war, like watching what was happening in Iraq. I saw um, a news footage of them cleaning, uh, picking up bodies of babies in Syria. And I went and I literally picked up my guitar and I wrote the mid, I wrote the mid section, which was right before the solo. It's that's why it sounds so emotional. And actually, when you watch the video, you see Iraqi babies who are victims of war from the 90s and into the 2000s. So like when America did the sanctions on Iraq and there was like 500,000 children starved to death. So I, I show that because horrible, man. that's yeah, I mean, that that. That, funnily enough, Madeleine Albright just died a few days ago. I know this is very political, but she was she was one of the biggest proponents of that. And that, I remember it, bro. I remember it vividly. It was like 1996. And I remember seeing those little baby coffins on TV. And I couldn't shower. I couldn't shower with the door closed. Closed. Actually, there was that. And because I'd been, someone close friend of my uncle's uh, brother had passed away. And we went to the mortuary and saw his body. So all that happened in the same week. And... All that fucked me up. And I remember my, I, I, like, I, you can ask my parents, maybe my dad remembers. I was so traumatized by that, that image of the baby coffin, seeing someone's real body in front of me in a mortuary, all that. So I said, I want to put that in the video because this is a chronological series of events. Uh, let's put that in. Anyways, my bandmates were totally not receptive. We had a band meeting about it. They didn't want the video, man. They, were, they asked me to scrap What it. were they worried about? Backlash. They're like, no, this is From political. people or they were worried about getting in trouble with authorities or... Well, that, and I mean, I was like, why would you get in trouble with the authorities? It's literally documented history. Yeah. It's, it's literally history. Yeah, I've always that. been into... To the two things, the thing I actually am most passionate about is history. Like I, I wanted to study history at Cambridge for my master's um, when I graduated from university. I mean, I wanted to apply to Cambridge or SOAS or one of these schools. And this is really... Like it's something that resonates with me because I grew up around it. I grew up around the Gulf Wars, both uh, all three Gulf Wars, man. You know, so I mean, yeah, I was nice. born in the I was born in the late '80s, and I grew up in the '90s. So it happened in front of us. You know what I mean? Um, and the last Gulf War, obviously, you know, like it was a firsthand experience. Like we used to see troops around, man, around town. For, you know, like so for me, it was like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna show the suffering. I mean, I want to show footage of what happened and the kind of impact it had on innocent civilians because that's what the song's about. And they were like, oh, no, no. And I was like, and Adnan, this is why I, I, I and he, like uh, in Arabic, we say kibbal fi'aini or like I gain a lot of respect from him because he's like, bro, he's like, it's your lyrics and your song's content and you're just trying to convey a message and you're using video to do it like to tie it into what you're writing about. Why don't people get that? Why is that a problem? I see, yeah, I, I, and I was like, exactly. Like he got it. But dude, like, you know, I said it to those guys. I said, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. Now, when they left the band, which was, it, at first it was really infuriating, but actually within like the first few weeks, it it was like a, it was like a major fucking relief for yeah. me. It's funny how those things work out. Huh? It's so weird. And and now that I found these guys, I'm like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I never thought I would find 
I thought it would be such... So straight after they left, I started speaking to guys in LA and in London, believe it or not. I wasn't even looking in the Middle East. I started approaching guys there and everyone that I spoke to was like, fuck yeah, man. I'm in the, I'm, I'll do it. I'll tour with you. So, but I need a permanent band. As much as I love those two guys that I, like, that there were two guitarists that I spoke to because they're like two of my favorite players. Right. And obviously they had, uh, you know, there were other drummers and people abroad that I was looking at. But man, when you have a band that are your friends and you live in the same town and you drive up and pick them up and you eat together and you go out together, you go to shows together, you go to parties together, you you jam together. There's a certain camaraderie that that's more important for me. And we write together. We want to write together. So this new record that I'm, I've written, I've written the record, yes, but it's not done. I mean, I can track it tomorrow and have a second album out, but I don't want to. I said to the guys, bring, I'm going to bring all the demos down. We sit in the rehearsal room and we rearrange what you guys bring in your own little inflections and your ideas. Where are you going to produce this new album? Here. Talking about? Here, okay. Here and then um, mix and master it in Poland. Because okay. I, I always mix and master with these two brothers in Poland, the Wyslowski brothers. They do like bands like Decapitated, Vader, like a bunch of big metal Who's bands. Who's funding uh, this? Nasser is. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the band is. I mean, but obviously... Wait, like, so you're funding this. Here's the thing. We've talked about this. The music industry is so interesting. You're funding this yourself. I've always funded my own music. How much of an ROI are you getting on that? Like a return? Not a lot. Not a lot. Not even not even close to. So you're losing enough. money. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. Well, fair my enough. wife my wife cares. She wants to stab me every time I. <laughs> yeah. No. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I won't make a shit record though. Like, you know, a lot of guys are like, dude, seriously, like you got Thomas Pridgen to play on your record. Okay, Thomas gave me a homie deal because we're you know because we're friends or whatever. But like, it is not cheap. It was recorded, yeah. half of this record was recorded in, in, in the Bay Area. And, and that's why you're looking for a, a, like a record label to sign yeah. the band, right? Yeah, I mean, and so that's going to be a lot of weight lifted off my shoulder. But what's also going to be a lot of weight, what is a lot of weight lifted off my shoulder is that now with Nisala and the band, Nisala's tracking the drums. It's the band's drummer writing and tracking the drums. And Nisala, when him and I started jamming the songs on this record that just came out, he brought it like a whole clear, he, he started playing a lot of fills to my guitar leads. And I'm like, fuck, this is exactly how I want, I envisioned mm -hmm. the song in my head. I wish I'd, I'm not saying that Thomas didn't do a great job. Thomas did an amazing job, but Thomas's style is completely different. Nissel and I, the chemistry is there, bro. You know, so like now that we work together, it's going to be a collaborative thing. So Nissel is going to track his drums. I might not even mix and master it in Poland. I might just mix it somewhere in Asia and master but, but my point is I'm and I'm going back to this is you're looking for a deal right you're looking to get signed right off how, of ivory towers yeah off ivory how are you doing that like how is you approach, approach record companies like how you're emailing them or you submit your music to them and you get into contact through uh, well I've been put into contact with some people as well through which, people you know and yeah it, and I have friends like, who are signed to like some labels and you know I didn't even ask them for favors I'm not like hey bro hook me up with a deal on your label which is what <laughs> guys in our region do yeah <laughs> they do man i swear yeah. my friends admit it they say it. but no it's like i know in america it's kind of different by the way I, I i notice this with a lot of my friends like you i'll have a friend who's signed to a major label and a friend who can't even break like to it can't even get fucking signed to a local label like an independent label and this guy won't hook him up because he's like i i put in this effort on my own to get here and some do. I'm not saying everybody but do they at least like connect them so that person at least not has always. an opportunity to not showcase. always not always, man. I mean, I've not asked. I've not asked some of my friends 
like some of my super, super close friends are connected with some big fucking cats in the industry. And I, I can't disclose names, but they're big cats. And I can't, I just don't have the, bro, my brother's friend who stayed at my dad's house um, like two or three years ago had a fucking Billboard top 10 hit. And she collect, she sang on a song with Florida. Oh, you know? shit. Okay. <laughs> and like, I just walked into my dad's house. I'm like, well, that's fucking random. And I just like, I don't stay with my parents mm. anymore. But it was just like, so like, my brother knows people in the industry, like some big cats. And like, a lot of my friends know big people in the industry. But I just don't have the heart to go up to someone. I don't, I just find it very weird. Like, it's okay. I don't mind struggling a little bit and doing it my own way. But what I asked my friends to do is, is like, just give me, a, give me the contact. Don't speak to them about me. Just give me the, the channel and mm. I'll handle it myself. If they like it, they like it. They don't like it. They turn me away. That's whatever. If I'm desperate, then it's a different story. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, man. So that was that. That's the, the goal now is try to get a deal so we can get funding for the next record because I, I I can't do the self funding shit. So Ivory Towers is also a bit of a make or break record. But now that I have a band, it kind of makes things. It was a make or break record, but now that I have a band, it's easier. But um, I mean, the new sound is completely different too. It doesn't sound anything like Ivory Towers. It's more varied. Like there's a song that sounds like grunge. I mean, okay. it's it's the main riff sounds like Nirvana. Then the song sounds like Queens of the Stone Age. Then it's just like. It's called Mojave, the working title, which is the de California desert. Because mm. that was kind of what I was visualizing when it came. The song right. actually came to me in the fucking shower, bro. You know, nice. Randomly. Um, there's, uh, the songs are just very varied. Like the sounds are different. You know, it's, um, I'll even show you something. Like Winterburn, unfortunately, with our, with our original logo when it was designed, it looks very like metal oriented not unfortunately I, lo I love metal music bro but it it um you know um let me show it to you we don't want to get pigeonholed as a metal band because we're not a metal band we're a, we're a rock and roll band that has some metal elements it has hard rock elements it has blues it has southern rock has country has everything and uh so i contacted our artists and i said hey man this is becoming annoying now because because of our logo people assume we're a metal band and we don't want to get secluded into one genre because that's not what we're about. We're a rock band. So, you know, we want to, that's what happened with this promoter last week. He's like, oh yeah, you, you guys would be, what kind of music you play? Hard rock. Oh, you'd be good for this festival. And it's a metal festival. I'm like, no, we want to play everything, bro. Even the fucking festival that's got like DJs, we'll play that too. I mean, Red Hot Chili Peppers have heavy shit. Listen mm. to uh, Stone Cold Bush by Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's not a funk pop, like the mm. typical under the bridge, not under the bridge. It's not like Californication. Listen to, um, dude, they have heavy shit on Mother's Milk. There's one song that's a pure metal song. You know what I mean? But they have rock songs. They have pop songs. They have funk songs. They have everything. And yeah, they have their own style. And I told, the, I, I said this to my drummer last week. I said, bro, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Chili Peppers fan. He said, what? Yeah, me too, man. I was like, what, really? I was like, dude, I kind of want to write shit like that too. Because I kind of dig that stuff. Like mix that style in too. He's like, yeah, man, I love that fucking stuff. And uh, and that was kind of cool because I never had that with my previous bandmates. It was like, yeah, man, let's be hard rock, heavy rock, you know. And be, yeah. and we started getting a little technical and riffy, and I like that shit too, man. I, but I don't, I don't want to be limited by genres. I so know I, what you mean. So I told the guy, I'm like, redesign our logo, bro, and make it more universal. <laughs> and I gave him my ideas. So I used to draw as well. I used to illustrate so I can sketch and shit. So I gave him my ideas and I said, this is kind of what I'm going for. And he sent us this. 
you know? Oh, wow. It's cool. It's like, yeah. it's very stonerish, <laughs> Psychedelic. Yeah. I love it. And and this l- chick actually had a skull face. And I was like, no, make it a, like a hot chick and make her look like she's like it, having, like she's getting pleasure out of this music. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I was like, because initially this was what he sent over. He's like, what do you think? I was like, nah, man. We don't want to scare yeah. people away with no, the skull. No, I like the skull. other one. Like we want like a, a good looking chick. You know, like a beautiful woman. Like we don't want, you know, just to alienate people with skulls and death and macabre and all that stuff. Because that's not what we're about, man. You listen to the new album, the songs. I mean, even Ivory Towers, dude. Gypsy is such a positive song. Mm. Um, Cali Jam is a really positive. It's an instrumental. But like when you listen to it, the song is basically inspired by me driving through the hills of Escondido and California with my wife. That was where where that riff came from. I was, yeah, I was just like, I drove through this beautiful hill. There's vineyards. It's just so beautiful. It looks very, it's very similar to Spain. It has this Mediterranean vibe. And I just picked up like an old acoustic guitar and I started jamming and this, I'll play for you actually, I don't mind. Dude, this Hendrixy thing came up and that was it. And and so what I'm trying to say is like, you go through the album, Dogtown is a positive song about having a good time on Venice Beach. Um, Sinner Swing is like, okay, Sinner Swing is kind of dark, but it's also like not depressed. It's not dark in a depressing way, you know what I mean? So like, I don't want us to be associated with that all the time. There's happy shit too in our music. And the new record has that. Like the new material that I'm writing has a lot of good time music, has a lot of uplifting music. There's music that like I write about, you know, I write it, it stems from me dealing with being a better human being. You know, like I have a mess, but I don't let MS fucking break me down. I've rehabilitated a lot of my 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 problems. Like physically, I'm speaking. Like I had problems with my arm. I've started fixing that i started lifting weights better i i I run better i had the best cardio in years man i was gonna get into that man like what are some i don't know like tough like life lessons that you've learned that have really like stuck with you that have made an impact you know sometimes we learn these the hard way sometimes it takes multiple experiences to learn them like what is something that not to waste time that's the biggest thing, man. Because I'm not like getting proca- like you're talking about procrastination. Stuff. It's a disease, bro. Okay. Yeah, it's we like all fuck, suffer. With it's that, like man. a cancer, man. But you know what? Yesterday and the day before, when I started hooking up, like you see all these, mi- you see my mic stand here, you see that light right. there, the guitars. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm tired. I'm tired as shit, bro. I had to take my wife and my kid to the airport, carrying suitcases. Da da da. It's like a lot of uh, physical for me. It was very tiring because I'd been up all morning and running around doing stuff. My my cat's all over you, man. Yeah, he's. He's very clingy too. You can pet his head. He, he'll be happy. He might just stop. He's adorable. But, He's about to drink some of my... Uh, no, he won't. He'll just sniff, but he'll never, he'll never do that. But um, but yeah, man, like, um, you know, like I just hooked up this stuff and I started jamming and I'm like, okay, I'm tired. And what you're seeing on my Instagram posts or my posts online is me like dead tired with MS fatigue and all that. But I played the best that I can, you know? And then I'm like, when I'm done, I'm like, it really wasn't that bad, man. I, I, I'm just, it's f- fear fucking really can control your mind. And it's fear of like, oh, it's going to be too much effort. Oh, it's going to take hours. But man, when I, even if it takes hours and if I'm done at 1 a.m. in the morning, it feels really good, man, making music. Even if I don't post it, bro, uh, like, bro, you can just pick him up and put him on the couch. He'll be fine. <laughs> he's heavy, man. Yeah, I know. He's, he's a, a fat guy. He's, he's a chonky dude. Um, but yeah, man, like um, what I'm saying is like procrastination is one Okay, procrastination is a big thing and a lot of people deal with it. I deal with it myself sometimes. How do you combat that? Like, 
I know that if I don't get my ass moving and doing things, I'm going to feel worse. I'm okay. just going to wallow in my misery and it's just going to get deeper and it's just going to be the cycle. And like, I'm just going to see my friends posting cool videos and doing things and playing shows and getting deals and endorsement. And my friends got this campaign and the one, you know, and like, it's just, I'm not, I feel super, ha- I, I never, by the way, get a negative vibe. I swear to God, I swear like, like I swear on everything dear to me from my friends doing that stuff. It, it's actually more of a self-loathing thing. Like, get off your ass, dude. Should what, motivate you. Yeah. Should motivate and you. actually seeing all these cats do this makes me like sit down and actually start strategically working on my band stuff. I don't like doing this. I wish I had like, I am trying to sign a deal with a management company. I'm just, they're just legal things we're working out. But while I'm doing it now. What do you mean by management company? Like you, you pay them or, or they manage you and then they get a profit? Or? Well, yeah, the, both. What do you mean? Like I pay them. But I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna want to renegotiate when we start making money. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. when I get a percentage. <laughs> no, we pay them a certain fee, you know, uh, for certain services and consultation and like you know bookings, promotions. Sounds like this uh, this whole music uh, thing is it's very expensive, expensive as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, what I was gonna tell them, and they're probably gonna they might listen to this, they might not. I was gonna say, guys, you want to get paid? Why don't you ask to get paid when we start getting paid? good money like i mean as in management in the 80s wasn't like that or in the 90s it was like the manager would step in and take a risk on a client yeah they believe in you and take a percentage of what you're making from your tours and all of that stuff these days no man nobody wants to take a risk these days these guys are like nah dude just give it we're doing you a service and we'll we'll hook you up and if it works it works i mean that's how it is bro you think that's bad a lot of fucking big artists buy tours and that's not something i hate I mean, that's not something I, I look down on. They buy tours? Like buy-ons. What do you mean? Like they pay to go on tour? I'll give you an example. And, and As opposed the, to getting paid? Yeah. What? I mean, my buddy Mario, uh, they get paid obviously from, so I'll explain it to you. My buddy is in the music, metal music scene in LA and rock. I mean, he deals with some of the biggest names in the scene. And he was the one who like, this was a long time ago. He told me all about this. He's like, he's, he told me all about, specific buy-ons that I didn't know about. He's like, I'll give you an example. There's a mid-level successful band. They had a couple of Billboard uh, charting albums. Well, actually, they've had quite a few, like maybe five. They're not huge. They get paid all right, you know? They play amphitheaters, so 2,000 theaters. To buy on, like, so they have a fee so that you could open for them as a support act on a tour. Like, let's say they're going to do a U.S. tour. Um, like, let's say they're going to do a West Coast and Midwest leg. So they'll charge you for that entire thing. There's a whole package. They'll tell you like, okay, you got to pay like a hundred. So I know that their buy-on for U.S. tours is $150,000 for a full wow. tour. Yeah, okay. they they take that. That's the flat fee the band gets. What are you supposed to get out of that investment? You get to tour with them. And obviously okay. Ex- you, exposure. you you get a merch thing. You you obviously make profit from certain things. You know, you get, I'm sure you get, I'm sure you get a percentage of ticket sales and stuff like that. There is obviously money to make. But More I money than the money you've invested? Sometimes you break even. Okay. It's not it's very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for that band, that's crazy. So when Mario told me that, I was like, they what? They charge 150000 For them, I wouldn't fucking pay that for that band. Yeah. 
But like major, major bands, a lot of the smaller bands to get slots with them, um, not all the time, like Guns N' Roses, I know that like they take a lot of these younger bands like Tyler, Brian, Dirty Honey, whatever, because they dig their music. They're fucking good bands, you know? Same thing with Mammoth. It's uh, Eddie Van Halen's son's band. They dig the music. They're good bands. Sometimes the label works out a deal with the bands. Like, uh, let's say I'm signed to, I don't want to name famous labels. Let's say I'm signed to Camel Records. <laughs> <laughs> so Camel Records will contact a major band and be like, listen, our artist wants to go on tour, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do we work this out? Well, we have a buy-on package. You know, you can pay these this much per show or we'll just calculate it over a whole leg. We're doing 30 shows this over the next few months yeah and that's a lot of bands do that and that, or sometimes it's just label mates like the label tells them like you know frontiers is a as a record label in italy that some of my friends are signed to they'll tell them like okay your frontiers artists your frontiers artists you go and open for those guys that be on this tour you know what do you say to someone listening that wants to uh pursue a career in music or something like it's that? not as daunting and scary as it sounds i know it sounds expensive and like oh there's a lot of money but you can Bro, I have a friend, he's toured everywhere and he's played up to like 50,000 people at a festival and he's played with, he's open for Metallica. He's one of my best friends. He actually produced my album. And I know that he's invested his own money into tours because he, he, they were signed to two labels at the time. They even had a management company and everything, but they've had to invest money, you know, up to like $20,000 sometimes for a tour. And they've made that money back from merch sales, from ticket sales. There's ways to break even. It's, it's just, you got to be clever. I mean, if you're talking about breaking even, some people want to become famous and make a, no, make no, a bunch you, of money. Well, I mean, they got label deals. The only reason their band didn't break bigger than they did. And I say this to him honestly, and I'll, I'll even name the band. I don't give a shit. Like, okay, um, it. it's Nerf Cell. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The only reason Nerf Cell I never broke bigger than they did was because their style. Their music is great, man. Their production is stellar. Their playing is amazing. The songwriting is amazing. I remember seeing their videos like back in the day. But but death metal is not the most like marketable thing in our region, bro. Definitely. You know, maybe if they were based in in, in the states, it'd be slightly easier. It still wouldn't be like yeah. the the greatest lifestyle, bro. Even thrash metal, you don't make that much money. What the fuck are you talking about? Like you know, like a lot of these. One of my friends' bands like is a really respected melodic. Uh, they're like melodic slash neoclassical slash death metal band, and they're super kick ass. They don't even like make that much money. He's got a day job bro and they're like super well respected which genre uh makes good money rap <laughs> <laughs> dude i was gonna change my name to little nas and then a fucking guy called little nas x came out you know no but i mean yeah, no you can make good money pop. you can make good money in rock i mean they're they're a bad bro dirty honey's not even signed and they've opened for Guns N' Roses. They did a whole tour of the Black Crows. They played at the fucking LA Forum twice. You know, like mm. they they've been doing a lot of crazy tours. Now they're touring with Mammoth, and they're doing like a co-headlining tour, playing amphitheaters all over the states. I mean, you can make money. You don't. I mean, it's not as bad as it is. Our region might be a little bit harder to break. You know, but it's not impossible. I never see these things, bro. I can't. I don't have the energy to look at negative. Like that. It, obviously, you can't be. Um, you can't just live in your naivete and yeah. like expect everything. But I mean, this is your p passion. Like this is everything to you. So I guess regardless of money or not, 
you're gonna keep doing this. I'm a lifer, man. So yeah. if I don't, if I, if I, if I don't break, I don't break. But I, I won't stop making killer records. I, someone's gonna fucking find it eventually, man. There's no way. I mean, like one of my heroes heard my music and he fucking digs it. And he's I, in high school. I used to like, I burnt the fuck out of his album in my car. The amount <laughs> of times, you know, like uh, that I've, I've, I've listened to it. I mean, I've got his and band's entire discography. And today, him and I like talk all the time. And he's listened to my record and he loves the music. He even fucking says like this some killer riffs you know and i'm like what the fuck you know like sometimes you pinch yourself and you're like and that must feel good yeah that's the one positive thing about social media when you connect with someone that you look up to or people that you respect it doesn't have to be your heroes it could be people that you respect in the music industry there's a lot of awesome people in the music industry that i've become friends with through instagram i mean my my son's godfather ray and one of my best friends mario they're like brothers to me the guys from thrown into exile and we met through a guitar account and we're like family. Like we, every time I go to LA, Ray was the first, per, second person to see my son out of all of my friends, you know, like when he was born. And, Man. and uh, you know, he's, I always tell him like, you're more than welcome to stay in my place if you're ever here and vice versa, man. I'll give you an example. She's going to hate me for this. But there was a girl who posted a video on Instagram. She's a DJ of like her playing Western songs that were influenced by famous Arab music, famous mm-hmm. Middle Eastern and North African. Why is it by North African? I mean by Egyptian or Algerian, like mm-hmm. Warda and others. So she played even Abdul Halim Hafal. You know, he has a song that Big Pimpin was basically sampled off. Mm-hmm. So she did a video and it had some views, some decent views on Instagram. I took that video and I posted it on Twitter and I tagged her and her Twitter account had been inactive for like over a year. The video's got 5 million views. Bro, NBA players were fucking retweeting that shit. Celebrities were retweeting that shit. And it's just, it just happened, you know? Now she's got like, and overnight you could see her following just shooting up. And I'm sure that it wasn't just me. It was, that was one thing, but several people started. It's like a catalyst. Yeah. And so many, and and not just, it started happening across so many, like, you know, some famous accounts started to repost her video. They started going on Instagram and you're like, you have these now this and all these accounts. And now she's like touring, playing shows. And you never know when, Someone just bought Roxette. I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard of Roxette? I'll play you a Roxette song right now. You'd be like, oh yeah, f- of course I know this band. Uh, I'm not going to play it right now. I was just right. going to put something on the screen because I can't look at constellations all day. But Roxette is a Swedish duo, which was, um, I forgot her name. But basically it's a female singer, Mary Fredrickson and this, this guy. And they made like these 80s pop rock songs. Never really broke big in Sweden or whatever. And there was an American student backpacking in Sweden at the time. And this cassette basically fell into his hands. He went back to the States and started showing it to his friends. They became an international billboard chart-topping hit. They became, I mean, they became huge. I'm, I'm sure I mean, you hear these things, but also like these are like a small pro- like probability. Like if you think about how many talented people that just like never get recognized there's a lot of them man you know what's crazy i was in uh van gogh's um, uh, exhibition like he had like no recognition when he was actually living it's only after he died that he became you know his art popped off which is a crazy l- a lot of guys are like that yeah. and that shit but, but i mean that's a different a whole different era too the, true what, what the fuck was up with i mean like even even mozart man it's so depressing yeah 
like have you ever watched the movie Amadeus? No, no. You should check it out. It's my favorite movie. A, a lot of even uh, liter- like literature, like like books writers. and things from back in the day. It's so depressing. Yeah, I mean Ernest Hemingway, didn't he shoot himself? Or no, that I was hun- so. that was Hunter Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, shot himself really- with a shotgun and like in like not too long. Like, Fear and loathing is great. Yeah, that guy, yeah. But I mean like a lot of those books, Albert Camus, um Aldous uh, Huxley, George Orwell, a lot of those people like wrote really heavy as, stuff. Is Aldous Huxley the one who had a really depressing life? Aldous Huxley was the one who wrote Brave, Brave New, New World. World, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, like, no, no, it's not him. It's not him. There was another one. Um, Shit, not Charles Bukowski. There's another one. A lot of people quote him, and he's super famous. But he has such a depressing. Not weird. Bukowski. No, 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 not him. But I mean, like you see these guys yeah. when you, you read their life stories, like it's depressing. Even Beethoven was fucking depressing. Yeah. Like I watch a. I, I love classical music, so I watch a lot of these old school classical composers, movies, bio. They, I wouldn't call them biopics. I don't know what you call them. And it's some depressing shit. I think Mozart was like poor, man. Like he was broke. And this guy was composing music for fucking royalty. Yeah. And his music still played till today. He's like one of the greatest. He's like maybe second to Bach, it's you know? But, but like these guys were broke, man. Um, well, here's one, Jim Morrison. Mm. One of my heroes, man. Like when you look at his life, it was, it was miserable. I don't know. I don't think he was having fun. It just sounds very sad, you know? And even the way he died was just horrible hendrix was similar hendrix was making a shitload of money but was still really poor like not poor but like just stupid at saving and spending Mm -hmm. pawning guitars selling guitars doing this that chaotic fucking lifestyle it just that's scary to me it's funny enough because he passed away this guy not dave Grohl, taylor hawkins and he's actually very similar to how i think there's a lot of musicians who are man like when i got into music the partying and all the crazy shit started really early. Like, I mean, high school early, you know, like I started like, you know, that whole decadent thing because, you know, you see Motley Crue and these bands and you think, right. yeah, man, fucking sense stripper. I want to be yeah. badass and you want to do all that shit, man. Yeah. And then when I moved to Dubai, I was like alone. So my parents had no idea what was going on now. And now I'm on my own. I was what, like 17 and a half, almost that was turning 18. Bound and to go wild. Mixed with the wrong cats, man. And, you know, just went crazy. And, after years of doing that stuff, you just wake up one day and you're like, I woke up one day and I was like, what, 21 years old? And I was like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? Like, like I yeah, literally- put That's my- early, it's an early age to realize it. Yeah, no, I realized it at 21, but that's not where it stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't stop till I was like 25. Yeah. It's just like nonstop wild shit, man. And then I've had a few cl- cl- close calls where I was like, you know, the problem with that is also like, I'm I'm a dad now and I've had moments of where I've slipped at this age. I need to I need to once you put structure in your life everything it's improves. it's it's hard man and I mean just to tie it tie it into the whole um, theme of the podcast which is better living what are some things that you find you know like really positively affect your life yeah, yeah you were you I was saying that earlier and then I kind of sidetracked one into this huge discussion so you're gonna have to edit a lot of this shit out man I'm yeah. sorry because okay. a lot of unnecessary me rambling but basically I said don't waste time don't sit and like think of all the obstacles bro believe me I like sit in self-loathe and start thinking like, oh, I want to do this, but there's this obstacle. There's that. I don't give, man, I don't care. You know, I am now reached a point in my life where we talked about money and funding. I will get that bag <laughs> for, for videos, for whatever, by any means necessary, you know, like any, I, I have to figure out a way. And um, the same thing goes for like learning, man, 
learning is like one big thing. You know, like you reach a certain, you know, one thing I notice about a lot of musicians, the, the incredible guitarist that I look up to and I'm like, wow, man, this guy's like unbelievable, like in terms of consistency and just progressing with evolving with what's happening in music are the guys that never stop learning. Like you can tell this fucking guy's listening to what's happening, what's current. I don't mean like cementing yourself or following a specific trend. What I'm trying to say is like, okay, I'll give you an, I'll explain it. Uh, I said George Lynch earlier or Michael Schenker. These are like, I'm naming some guitarists for Mm -hmm. you. Or Gary Moore who passed away or Jeff Beck. They do, they can give guitarists out there today a run Mm -hmm. for their money because they're not stuck in the 80s. They're like, progressing and learning new styles and learning new techniques and becoming more technical and more so complex. just keep learning yeah man and the more that i learn i'm not talking just about guitar you start to see your life improve as a human being man i i used to have this thing where i always felt like i was betraying myself if i took lessons as a guitarist I was like, no, I never, I, I was self-taught. I will fucking teach myself the, the, the hard shit. But you know what started to happen? I started getting stuck in a box where I would only do the same, like I, I, I couldn't think outside. Learning new styles helped me break away from repetitive rehashing shit. But you know what I also started doing? I started calling up friends of mine that I admired in the music industry. Like one of them was like uh, Hadron Gonzalez, my friend Danny and Danny from Inglorious. Eric Steckel, he's not a friend of mine, but like I, I, I reached out to him. I said, yo, man, I want show me how you do that stuff. Like, show me your licks. That's it. Just show me your licks. And then I'm like, I know all of this. This theory is there. It's just that my brain is just not thinking outside of like what I'm stuck in. And that really ha- changes you. That's because it starts with music and then it just progresses into everything in your life. Like I started, re- you have to also come into terms with your shortcomings, man. I'm not the best singer there is out there. Some people think my voices think I'm a fucking good singer. Some people think like, oh man, those screams you do or you hit these crazy notes. Bro, I struggle. Like lately I've been noticing that I noticed that I'm I'm singing wrong and I've been doing it for a long time. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm singing wrong or something happened to my vocal cords, but I started to notice this like in the past maybe six months. So on Monday I have... Uh, I have classes with one of the best like vocal coaches in the world. She did M Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold, uh, Phil Labonte from All That Remains. I mean, you name wow. all the big metal guys. Uh, she's she's the she's the go to. So you're investing in learning, and that's important, man. It's like there's always room for improvement. And you know what? What's funny is if you listen to my music, you won't even be able to. If you saw me singing right now, you won't you won't know why what I'm talking about. You'll be like, you sound fine. Like most of my friends, my bandmates, when we're jamming in rehearsals, they think I sing fucking good, right? Oh my guys, you don't know what I feel inside, man. I can make myself look good and I can sound good and I can sing in front of an audience and sound good. But that doesn't mean I physically feel good, you know? And that's worrying, man. Like that started happening recently and I started saying like, this shouldn't be happening to me because I've always, the last festival show we played, which I had the best vocal performance of my life. Like my voice, I don't know if it was because of my fitness or if this is happening because of my gallbladder or what it is that's causing this this weird thing in my throat. But I started to notice it, I think, I wouldn't even say last six months, it's last three months that really, like it, it, coming into this year, I started to notice that I'm struggling with, it, it's just, I had to come to terms with it. At first I was like, 
I'd sit in the car and I'd play a song and I'm like, fuck, I can hit, I can hit notes that female singers were singing. And yeah. I'm and I'm a baritone man. And I was hitting, I'm going beyond a tenor's voice. And it's not falsetto. This is my real voice. I'm singing like songs that are hard to sing. These are people with real high voices. But I'm like, am I singing it correctly though? Am I doing the right technique? Because how long can I sustain this? Can I do this for an hour and a half? Bro, our shows are not short, man. By the time that our band stopped, our last show was an hour and a half long, bro. An hour and a half, and that's not even a full show. Like there's still more mm. like material that we didn't play. We cut it down because we don't want to like play too long. And it was a showcase anyways. It was the new band and whatever. Like I started like thinking like, can I sustain this for that long? I don't know, man. Because our last show, honestly, that I blamed the PA as well. There was a problem with the sound and everything, and I couldn't hear myself sing correctly. And I shot my voice. And I did a really crazy scream, and I shot my voice like three quarters of the way into the set. Mm. By the end of the set, I redeemed myself because I did like these crazy screams on the last song. But like, um, but like, I was like, no. Something's not right. I need to correct everything. I need to change how I sing. So that's why I was like, you know what? Who would understand this? First of all, coming to terms with it was a big thing. And this is what I'm saying. This is one of the life tips. You have to come to terms with shit that if you're not good at something, if you're not doing something correctly and you need to fix it, and even if it's something you're passionate and you've been doing for many years, correct it. Neil Peart is one of my heroes. He's one of the greatest drummers of all time. I don't want to bore you, but I'll, I'll tell you something. I'll show you. I'll give you this documentary. Watch it because you may have never listened to Rush, but you might become a Rush fan and like a big Rush fan after watching this. Neil Peart is one of the greatest drummers ever. Taylor Hawkins, who just died, was probably one of the biggest fucking Neil Peart fans ever. Like, mention Neil Peart to any rock fan, they'd be like, oh, yeah, man, he was like one of the, mm -hmm. the top five probably drummers of all time. Right. The guy started taking drum lessons in his 40s. I mean, he had achieved iconic status in rock and music history by his mid-40s. And at that point of his life, after arenas and... why. Why did he start taking Because he realized he wasn't playing right. He realized that there was, he was wasting too much energy doing wrong movements. Like his strokes were wrong and not wrong, but like he just realized that he could, he was watching. I there's can't, room for improvement, basically. Yeah, and I can't remember. There's always room for improvement. And, 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 and there's room for correction. Because even as a guitarist, I noticed that there's a lot of things I was not doing. There was a lot of root elementary things mm. that I skipped and I went straight for the, yeah, man, I'm going to be the badass shred fucking lightning, bro. Yeah. But <laughs> but then you wake up one day and you're like, that is not right. I, I missed these little stepping stones that I should have done. Like, you know, stupid ass reference. Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi's yeah. wax on, wax off yeah. shit. Like that's like, I mean, this is the worst analogy ever. But you know, like it's those stupid little things that sort of build the foundation. In a nutshell, what you're saying is... There's I mean, always time to correct. There's always time, yeah. Like when it comes to learning, you want to be open to learning and, you know... There's always room for improvement and you need to be accepting and real yeah. when it comes to your shortcomings. And that's the only way you're going to improve. Otherwise, now. otherwise you're going to live a lie, man. And I felt like for a while, the past three months, I felt like I was living a lie in my singing. I was like, maybe I'm not a good singer. Maybe I, I, I'm not happy with how I sound. I don't like it. You know, when I posted that video yesterday, I thought like fucking a hundred times before I posted it. Sometimes we, you know, we get a little self-critical. We overthink things. We don't put things out and then other people dig it. But what is, um, you know, to wrap things up, like, do you have a final message or get final off social thought? media is another one. One thing that I noticed, I think this is like a weird human trait is like sometimes it's like spend too much time on things we don't like things mm. that depress us. Yeah. 
And that's, that's true. That's really what social media does, bro. Because like you start seeing things, and it's it's a false doom scrolling is what they call it now. It's a just fucking, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It's a false illusion, man. That's not real shit, bro. I mean, no. I mean, I know how social media works because we all know how it is. You're trying to pre- everyone's projecting the best image of themselves. No one's gonna take a shitty looking picture. I mean, I have some pretty shitty looking videos of me playing guitar, and I don't care. But yeah. but no, like it's the, true. It's true. The point is. Like, stop wasting your time, not just on social media, on just dumb shit that slows down your progress, man. Like, I I am telling you this. I'm blessed because I feel good at my age. I mean, aside from the shit that I need to get surgically removed and some of the MS crap. Health issues, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, generally, when I sleep good and when I eat good and work out and whatever, I feel, alhamdulillah, I feel good, man. But like, and I'm blessed because I guess, like, I don't look, I didn't age like my friends did, you know, because I, I didn't partake in the same fucking activities and extracurricular shit that they did. Okay. But like my point is, uh, you, you st- moved away from, I mean, you cleaned up your act. I cleaned up my act and that kind of had a major positive effect on me physically. Even my wife tell them, my wife is older than I am. And a lot of people don't believe me when I tell them how old she is because she looks amazing for her age. She looks like, she looks like she's in her mid twenties, you know? That's awesome. Man. So, so I, what I'm saying is like, just don't waste your life on dumb shit because you're going to reach a point in your life where you're going to start stressing out that I'm too, when I hit 30, bro, like that shit messed me up. That shit played with my head so bad. I just, and I just come back from LA and you know, the sunshine and I was this 29 year old guy and like, you know, all of a sudden I'm 30 and I was like, oh man, like it just messed with me. And like that also is another one. Like don't overthink that shit. Are you 30 now? Almost. Yeah, no, don't, but but don't even let that be. Why is that a problem? It's Bro, true. 30, 30s, 30s, your physical prime, man. Whether you want to believe it or not, Cristiano Ronaldo is the biggest fucking testament to that. He's playing, his best playing was in his 30s. A lot of footballers, not just him, a lot of athletes are in their 30s and they're killing it. What does depress me though, I will say, is when I see someone who's been famous like Rihanna for so long and I realize she's only two years older than I am, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life, dude? You know, like, yeah, the, I mean, yeah. sorry, she's two years younger than I am or two yeah. years, she's my age or there's whatever. There's people like that, man. But there is this girl, you know, like how Zendaya is like this new hype and she's yeah. everywhere. I'm not going to hate on her, yeah. but it's a, it's just like people are obsessive, man. It's yeah. kind of scary, actually, how people on social media are obsessive. And they are. And I don't get it. <laughs> so there's her and there's this other girl. She's a Latina. She's in that show with her, that show that every f- girl with father issues. Euphoria. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I've only heard of it. You know? I have a buddy of mine whose buddy is a writer on that show. Is 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 he is he is he a he or she? He is he fatherless? Because it seems like that's a show for fatherless. I'm sorry, man. I'm just kidding. I haven't seen the show. I don't no, know. we we make fun of that show a lot. But yeah, anyways, because um, their fans seem to fit one fucking bill. Anyways, um, <laughs> there's this one girl on it who's also like really like popular, and her she's also like mm-hmm. girls love her, you know. Like, and I see her pictures all over the place, and it kind of made me feel happy that we're almost the same age. And I was like, I never even heard of her till like two years ago. Uh, yeah. So, so that's not a bad thing. So it's maybe true. you, maybe you don't break too early, bro. But yeah. so many people broke late. You know, I there are famous people that we love broke in their fucking forties, fifties. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Christoph Waltz. Yeah. But exactly. Don't. I think just get out of this fucking age thing, man. That's one thing that I learned the most but don't waste your time and don't be complacent and just like fucking sit down and be like yeah man it's gonna come to me success and shit never comes to you nothing comes to you nothing i've ever done in my music ever 
has come to me. When I actually sat around thinking, oh, people are going to take notice of this music and come to, nothing ever came to me. The minute I got up and made shit happen is when shit happened. And you know what else? One other lesson. Fuck rejection, bro. If you think rejection is going to be like, if rejection is going to break you every single time, then you're not made for this world. Oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no, man. Yeah. Do you know how many people turn me down and turn my band down? Dude, do you know, like if I tell you the stories, that's why I went on that rant earlier. I was like, these fucking assholes, like they're, they're arrogant towards me. Well, man. you know what? Um, this definitely won't be the last time we have you on the podcast. I hope not. It's No, it's been a great conversation. We've talked about a lot of things. All right, guys. We're about to lift off. You've been listening to Curated Advice on Better Living. It's our passion to interview guests on their experiences to bring you different perspectives on personal development, on everything from healthy habits to mindset to relationships to functional movement and biohacking. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we hope you've gotten some information that can change your mindset. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, we'll leave you with this from Bruce Lee. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friends.